0: This is Rabbi Ethan Tucker of Mechon Hadar, Parashat Yitro, 5776, Zachor et Yom HaShabbat le-kadashow. Shamor and Zachor, competing frames for Shabbat in the Torah and today. Every Friday night, Jews around the world welcome Shabbat in song with the following poetic line, Shamor veZachor bedibur Hishmianu el hamiyuchad, Guard, shamor and be mindful of zachor in one utterance the unique god caused us to hear this opening line of the poem l'chadodi familiar to so many was written by rav shlomo Halevi alkabetz the great kabbalistic poet of 16th century tzfat what does it mean as a child i always learned this line as an attempt to harmonize two conflicting articulations of the same idea the two versions of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, in this week's parasha, and Deuteronomy. The Torah presents the Ten Commandments as a historical utterance by God to the Jewish people. So how can there be two different versions of this speech in the Torah? To this, the tradition answers. The two versions were spoken in stereo sound, with God simultaneously saying both. A deeper investigation, however, reveals that this line packs an even greater punch. Like most lines in our prayers, the first line of L'cha Dodi has an intertext, another source on which it is based and from which it draws linguistic and conceptual inspiration. In this case, the intertext is found in the Mechilta, a commentary on the book of Exodus drawing on traditions from the sages of the early first millennium of the Common Era. This passage features four examples of verses in the Torah that were said at once, the first of which refers to the simultaneous utterance of Zachor and Shamor at Mount Sinai. But a look at the complete list reveals that we are dealing here not with conflicting articulations, but with conflicting ideas and laws. The text begins, Zachor Vishamor shnei hem ne'emru b'dibur echad. Be mindful of and guard. Both were said at once. But then it continues with three other examples of pairs of laws in the Torah that conflict with one another. Here's one of the other examples: Mechalaleha mot yumat uveyom haShabbat shnei shnehem me'dibur echad Those who desecrate it shall be put to death, and. On the Shabbat day, sacrifice two lambs, both were said at once. Exodus decrees the death penalty for any violation of Shabbat. The Torah explicitly denotes burning a fire on Shabbat as one such desecration, and rabbinic tradition understands slaughtering animals as another. And yet, Numbers maintains the sacrifice of two lambs in the temple each Shabbat, an act which involves both slaughter and the use of fire. The Mechilta asserts these two conflicting commands were nonetheless uttered at once. In each of the cases the Mechilta addresses, the conflicting categories must make room for one another as one command is an exception to the other. This fuller context makes us realize that something similar is going on with Zachor and Shamor as well. What is the conflict here And how do these two commands coexist? We can uncover the deeper meaning of the mechilta by recognizing that the words zachor and shamor here signify much more than themselves. They are metonymic terms for the Torah's two very different presentations of Shabbat and the reasons given for its observance. In fact, they stand for two dueling conceptions as to what Shabbat is all about, two different reasons for guarding and being mindful of Shabbat. You can see much more detailed discussion and more examples in the longer essay. Let's look at each reason and mode on its own. Shamor, preserving human freedom and social justice. The Shamor model is presented in Dvarim in Deuteronomy. After issuing the command to guard Shabbat by refraining from Melachah, The Torah provides the following rationale. And so that you will be mindful that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God took you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to perform the Sabbath day. According to this version of the Ten Commandments, Shabbat is about taking home the lessons of being a slave and making sure that the economically disadvantaged get a chance to rest. Shabbat here emerges from Jewish history. We have firsthand experience of a culture of incessant work. When God redeemed us from that state, we took on a corollary obligation, never again to create a culture that economically enslaves people without a break. This rationale calls us away from the labors of the week so that we can enjoy rest and bodily rejuvenation. We would be driven to maximize pleasure, engaging in activities that emphasize our freedom, such as eating, drinking, sleeping, and otherwise experiencing the Oneg, or pleasure of Shabbat. This approach was seized upon by a number of Second Temple Jews, including those who became the ancestors of Christianity. A number of passages from the Christian Bible give us a good sense of some of the competing visions of Shabbat in the Jewish community at that time. As alternate interpretive paths, not followed by later rabbis, these sources help us understand just what was at stake for our tradition in defining the essence of Shabbat and its practices. In passages from the Gospels of Mark and John, we find Jesus berating the Pharisees the other Jews, for refusing to let his hungry disciples pick grain from the field on Shabbat, something they consider to be forbidden by the Torah. He marshals scripture to his cause, but then he makes a broader point about Shabbat itself. It is intended to serve human beings, not to make them miserable by their service to it. This is no antinomian claim, though it may seem so on the surface. This is an argument about the essence of Shabbat, an argument grounded in the Shamor model. If the purpose of Shabbat is to provide rest to the weary and to free the oppressed, Jesus seems to have reasoned what possible good could come of making people go hungry on account of Shabbat restrictions. Jesus channels the Shamor model exclusively, allowing for dramatic physical manipulation of the world, plucking grain from its source, in order that his students not be uncomfortable. Again, this approach was decidedly rejected by the rabbis. Let's turn to a second approach, Zachor, honoring God and creation. In our parasha, this model comes to the fore. There, the rationale for the same basic command is quite different. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Shabbat day and sanctified it. The Zahor model offers a very different reason for observing Shabbat. According to this version of the Ten Commandments, Shabbat is an act of imitating God's behavior on the seventh day of creation. It does not emerge from Jewish or even human history. It predates it. Shabbat is an opportunity for human beings to live like God and to frame their relationship to the physical world of creation in which they live. By imitating God's stopping and resting, we also acknowledge that we did not create the world and therefore do not have the right to dominate it without limits. Creation is from God. It is perhaps at least in part for humans, but it is not simply the plaything of humans to do with what they will. Shabbat reminds us of our place in the divine world that graciously contains us. Josephus reports that the Jews of Jerusalem followed this rationale, since they are accustomed to rest on every seventh day, on which times they make no use of their arms nor meddle with husbandry, nor take care of any affairs of life, but spread out their hands in their holy places and pray until the evening. According to this view, Shabbat is a day for God, set aside for spiritual matters. This approach is perhaps no better illustrated in the Second Temple period than in the Dead Sea Scrolls community. One scroll reports the law, but should any man fall into water or fire, Let him not be pulled out with the aid of a ladder or rope or some such utensil. Another also illustrates this sharply, claiming that if a person falls into water on Shabbat, one should extend him his garment, but not pick up any tool. These examples show a clear allergy to the use of tools on Shabbat. Even when the tool would be taken in order to lift someone out of a pit, it is forbidden to use it. This prohibition flows from a fervent obedience to the Zahor model. Tools, even ones like ladders that don't even transitively do anything to the world, those tools represent the essence of human domination and manipulation of the world. There is hardly a more meaningful way of abjuring control of the natural world than by withdrawing from tools, figuratively placing oneself back in prehistoric times. The rabbinic approach to the tension between Zachor and Shamor is to embrace it. The Mechilta we began with acknowledges the warring visions of Shabbat that can be inspired by creation on the one hand and Exodus on the other. But the Mechilta and the rest of rabbinic tradition insist on an unshakable commitment to the coexistence of Zachor and Shamor, both of which were uttered at once by the same living God, Bidibur Echad. This has impacts today in many areas of the Halakha of Shabbat. For example, in Muktzeh, the restrictions surrounding handling objects and tools. And for a longer discussion of that topic, you can see last week's essay. Many formulations of Muktzeh in the history of Halakha, often driven by the Shamor frame, try to anchor these laws in concern for physical labor. Don't pick up a hammer, lest you use it to build a door. But those often seem forced and leave these restrictions to be seen as mere rabbinic fences around the law that can be waived in the case of illness or other pressing concerns. But when we understand these laws as derivative details of an even more robust Zahor model, they are important guardians of a humble posture towards creation and human creativity on Shabbat. This framework of Shamor and Zahor perhaps can help contemporary Jews be united by Shabbat rather than divided by it. I recall once seeing a young boy raised in an observant home talking with his grandmother, who did not observe Shabbat, on a Saturday afternoon. It was a warm day, and the grandmother asked her grandson if he would go outside and pick a grapefruit off the tree. The boy responded sheepishly that it was Shabbat, and he could not do that. She responded with a puzzled look and a dismissive tone. But that's not work! The boy simply shrugged. But now let's see this through our Shamor and Zahor frameworks. The grandmother was instinctively deploying a Shamor model. Though not observant herself, she clearly had an intuitive respect for a Shabbat observance grounded in the command to remember the Exodus. Refrain from work in the sense of economic enslavement and participation in the office culture were transparent concepts to her. More opaque to her, and to the grandson, who had no tools or vocabulary to explain it, were the restrictions around picking a single fruit off of a tree for pleasure and enjoyment. Indeed, the Shamor paradigm would seem to allow for, if not recommend, such an action in the name of Oneg Shabbat. What she needed to hear was a response that evoked the Zahor model as another defining factor of traditional Shabbat observance. True, Nothing of the mythic fabric of the Exodus-inspired command would have been torn by the picking of that grapefruit. But the act would have been a profound rupture in the spiritual practice of imitating the god who stopped creating on the seventh day. I suspect this sort of vocabulary would have helped the boy feel better about himself in that moment and would perhaps have engendered respect from his grandmother's end as well. In any event, we should acknowledge that the tension in these types of interactions is nothing more than the channeling of an ancient balancing act intended to capture the Torah's multivocality around Shabbat. That would go a long way to increasing both commitment and understanding. When we recite Lahado on Friday nights, we should redouble our commitment to listening to the entire Torah. Unlike various groups in the Second Temple period, Chazal, our sages of blessed memory refuse to allow one of the Torah's messages about Shabbat to trample the other. May our conversations about Shabbat always work to preserve this ethic of Bidibur echad ne'emru, gleaning wisdom from the competing models of Zahor and Shamor, as well as from the symphony of voices that make up this ever-relevant area of halacha.